0: Folks, and welcome to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima. Again, great to have you with us. And we're even more excited to have you with us today, actually, because this is our favorite episode of the year, which is the one in which we review everything that happened in Japan's property market in the last 12 months, compare it with the projections and predictions that we, and also the bigger and more experienced um, industry leaders have made. And we're going to see which of if any of those actually took place, and then most importantly, try to estimate what this year holds in store for the market, or at least make as educated of a guess as possible as to what trends we might see moving forward. So for this purpose, we're thrilled to have our own sales and marketing manager, Pretty Donnelly, join us today. pretty has been with us for the past six years now, and she's taking care of all existing and potential clients who've trusted us with their funds, whether for investment or for their own personal use. And she makes it her business to always know what's happening in this arena. Now, you might remember her from one of our older episodes in which she told us about what it is that investors normally look for uh, from Japan, the world's second biggest property investment market. So we'll link to that previous episodes in our show notes, of course. But today she's joining us again, this time armed with her very own comprehensive report, Fresh Out of the Oven, which she's going to review with us uh, on the call today. So you definitely want to listen in closely on this one. Brittany, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's awesome to have you on the show again.
1: Hi, Ziv. It has been a busy year for sure in the market, and I'm excited to be here to share the goings on.
0: You know, I really love having you on the podcast because, uh, weirdly enough, even though we talk almost every day or kind of talk via messaging and email and so forth, it's pretty rare for us to actually uh, be able to hear each other, but with a huge time difference. I mean, uh, we're here in Japan, you're based in Canada, and we rarely get the chance to talk kind of thing, isn't it?
1: It's very true. Luckily, most of the work can be done over emails and messaging, which, because of the time differences, actually keeps things running over 24 hours. With clients in Australia, UK, Singapore, US, Canada, and it goes on, we have the advantage of technology to make buying, selling, and investing possible and more efficient. And speaking of efficiency, here's a quick tidbit for you. Soon we will also be seeing smart buildings, as the property market starts to focus on customer convenience and ways to reduce costs.
0: Oh, ah, okay. Well, we're going to get into that very soon. But before that, before we dive right into the report itself, um, maybe give us a bit of your own impression of 2019, sort of a catch-up to the last time we spoke. I mean, you're our front line, so to speak, as far as buyers go. So you're the, always uh, going to be the first one to hear from anyone who... Um, I want to say buying, but it's it's often way before they're even actively looking to buy, isn't it? I mean, you're the one receiving emails and messages and answering questions in groups and forums and so forth, um, not just from actual buyers, but from anyone who's got any sort of interest in investing overseas, whether it's in Japan specifically or Asia in general and really anywhere out of their own backyard, right? You, you, you've been hearing a lot from these kind of people. Yes.
1: You know, with political unrest in the last few years, I believe 2018 was more about the realization that it's time to step out of your backyard for investing. 2019 was more finding the comfort zone of where to invest. And this is how investors started to learn more about Japan's high-yield market and the variety of opportunities. Now, Japan is also a safe haven with low geopolitical risk. When we look at the continued trade and political grandstanding wars between China and the USA, we see increased capital inflow from China into Japan. And then there's the numerous protests and marches in Hong Kong. This has had developers fearing that the government might not be able to roll out enough sites for 2020. So this local shortage of land and risky local investments in Hong Kong also increased inflow to Japan By citizens from Hong Kong and China. These investments have mainly been into hotels, private lodgings, as well as whole buildings or independent houses designed for home sharing where they can obtain a private lodging license.
0: Right. So the China investors, the Hong Kong investors, and probably I'm guessing people who actually want to invest in Hong Kong and China but are feeling a bit insecure about it um, are redirecting their funds. So You, as someone who spends most of the day with their finger on this global buyer pulse, what's your experience been like this year? I mean, what are people interested in when they think about dipping their toes into the international property arena, Um, a lot of them for the first time these days?
1: I really feel that it depends, If The first time, so there's two types of investors. The first time, novice investor, and then seasoned. So the first time investor is more comfortable with a small, affordable apartment. Say under fifty thousand US dollars in a major city such as Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, Kyoto, the top property markets with rising occupancy rates. They're just safer investments overall and they would have lower yields by comparison. Still good, but lower yields. Now seasoned investors who have already tested the market They tend to get more creative. So, for example, they might either purchase land or purchase C-grade buildings, which would be like shoddy old hotels in rural locations, and convert them into B-grade trendy co-living share houses near universities or even co-working office spaces. Another attractive investment area has been in e-commerce. We've seen bricks and mortar retail starting to crumble. This is happening everywhere. Meanwhile, the e-commerce market is exploding. And as a result, we're seeing the large scale distribution facilities located on the outskirts of cities moving to central cities as built to suit smaller facilities, much more affordable. Mm. Japan is in fact the only country in Asia that poses no limitations on foreign buyers as far as land ownership goes. So no leaseholds like you would find in Singapore or Vietnam. No need to partner with locals like in Thailand. Very few restrictions on foreigners buying property in Japan.
0: Right, okay, and this this really gives us a nice little segue into the report itself. So maybe let's um, start or carry on with the macro level. So what's been happening in Japan in 2019? And I mean both generally as far as market fundamentals go, but also as far as foreign investment flow is concerned.
1: Well, the 2019 market has certainly evolved. We see the traditional work the traditional work culture of large corporations changing to one of startups and small businesses with the need for work-life balance, which we've never seen before, including share office space for shortened, more convenient commutes, and hence the reason for developments of office space in rural areas. But the grand scale tourism push as Tokyo hosts the Summer Olympics, now that's the big one.
0: Right.
1: This is what is impacting the hotel fact sector. The government intends on generating tourism and convention revenue from hotels and meeting spaces to boost visitors to 60 million, 60 million annual visitors by 2030. Yeah. Hotel occupancy has been at 80% on average in 2019 in Tokyo, Osaka, and Kyoto. There is also interest in onsen and yokan properties, which are natural hot spring resorts. And these are undervalued after experiencing recession and mismanagement. These have become hot investment targets for personal use seasonally, and then as a resort villa the rest of the year. And another point of interest that I wanted to mention uh, for this sector is that the, the government is planning to invest in casinos yes. for gaining revenue. This has the potential to become Asia's second largest gambling market after Macau. So part of the reason commercial development, ski resorts and golf courses are also doing so well is that Japan's land prices rose for the second straight year with the increase spreading beyond your typical big cities. So to give you an idea, while the average yield for ski resorts has been around 5% in Niseko, properties have reached yields of 7% at times. So this is in Niseko and those who prefer to hibernate in the winter, it's not for everyone. They'll be interested to know that Olympic golf at the Tokyo Games in 2020 is attracting investment. So yeah, the resort market is really
0: doing well so I mean that that's an established trend now isn't it I mean lots of people were still concerned because of those two deca- decades of uh, deflations and recession that kind of ended back in 2013 and we have had some pool and jerk cycles since then so prices have gone up but only in major cities and then they flattened out a bit again then a couple of cities went up and then they stole again but now it's definitely a thing, isn't it? I mean, prices are going up not just in Tokyo and Osaka, but nationwide. I mean, which are the best performers uh, of the cities? Which are the most exciting ones to look into?
1: I would say Nagoya, one of Japan's main industrial and commercial metropolitan centers. Firstly, it's conveniently located between Tokyo and Osaka, and soon to be the beneficiary of the newest and fastest bullet train from Tokyo. Uh, the bullet train line. It has performed well with 75% occupancies for office properties. And get this, even more impressive is the grade A office space at a historical high occupancy of 99.4%. Oh, wow. Yeah. A new supply of commercial properties is expected to hit the market in 2020. And this will make it easier for tenants to secure space in the office sector. But really, with the bullet trains opening in 2027, to connect Tokyo with Nagoya and Osaka in 40 minutes and 67 minutes respectively, this city is the one to watch. Mm -hmm. Now, Osaka, Nagoya, fukuoka they were previously considered second-tier markets, meaning they provided higher yields but lower liquidity and relatively a small section, a small selection of deals. Mm These cities now have established themselves as extremely viable markets in both the residential and commercial sectors. Nagoya and Fukuoka offer yields generally higher by at least one to two percent when compared with Tokyo, Yokohama and Osaka. So an ideal choice even for the most risk-averse investor.
0: Okay, so that all sounds super positive. Um, Any flies in the ointment? I mean, we keep seeing some pretty grim numbers as far as population and the workforce goes. Is that still a concern? Any other challenges the market here is facing?
1: Well, it's no secret that Japan has one of the worst demographic outlooks of any nation in the world with its aging and declining population. The aging population however, has opened up a need for nursing homes, day to day care, long term accommodation services. But then here's the problem with a shortage of workers. Japan has been forced to, for the first time, start issuing visas in the hope of attracting more workers. So this is a major policy shift. Now, similarly, also moving away from tradition in 2019 is the retail sector. it's a direct result of online shopping happening everywhere in the world. Domestic trading companies are picking up whatever retail centers they can, so it makes it difficult um, for foreign investors to find opportunities um, in retail. Also rents have been trending lower and of course the 10% consumption tax from 8% is not helping the retail sector either. But one appeal of the the resulting and rising e-commerce sector is that an economic downturn or even a mild recession isn't likely to dampen growth significantly, considering the demand of online services. And for this reason, investment in logistics facilities is considered to be a much more reliable, stable investment, and it will be for many years to come. I find it particularly interesting that the appeal in this sector is to the point where developers are still building these facilities without pre-commitments or leases from potential tenants.
0: Right, right, gotcha. So senior living, warehouses, shipping facilities, um, I think we've heard about these in the last year's summaries as well. So there's still a fantastic strategy for anyone who wants to... Um, also, first buy land and then start profiting from it slowly, but without putting too much capital in there uh, from the get-go. I mean, storage and shipping hangars are pretty cheap to construct compared with residential or office blocks and shopping malls and so forth, aren't they?
1: Japan, along with South Korea and Australia, are the first Asia-Pacific nations to begin the rollout of the 5G network. Yeah. And so as a result of the voracious appetite for data and cloud computing, data centers emerged as 2019's favorite niche
0: sector. Right, data centers too, yeah.
1: Yeah, this is an affordable market for smaller scale and commercial investors. As the sites are both affordable and generally not very big physically or in value. Property markets are starting to focus on efficiencies and customer convenience efficient smart buildings as i alluded to earlier will reduce costs and collect occupancy related data so we're going to see a lot more of this under this concept retail landlords will have the ability to use customer loyalty apps which can be used for parking ordering food while larger office investors in the region are experimenting with apps to allow tenants to book facilities and services. There will be apps to control air conditioning, heating, lighting, security, uh, building performance, and eventually transmit data required for efficient processing of traffic, waste, water, power. Stay tuned, I will have some updates on this.
0: Okay, and then what about the other uh, big trends from last year? So, logistics definitely still a hot sector. How about um, shared offices? I mean, everyone was hailing that as the next big thing last year.
1: There is, yep, still um, definitely still demand in these sectors. But following the WeWork failed IPO and then subsequent sale, people are more careful as far as choosing the right operators for those projects. We're in touch with some good operators and hope to get some more projects off the ground this year if we can.
0: Good stuff. So is there anything, aside from the demographics, which we've already mentioned, um, anything stopping Japan from continuing to gain traction, just continuing to be a top investment destination this year too?
1: As popular as the market is with affordable prices and attractive yield, the drawback is the language barrier. Contracts and documents such as... um, Rental data are still only in Japanese, and for this reason, the way investors access this market is, if you don't know Japanese, is through the services of buyers' agencies and proxy portfolio managers like like us, English-speaking, and able to communicate in Japanese to realtors, lawyers, and professional staff on behalf of our clients. A couple of things I want to emphasize. One... There are very few restrictions on foreigners buying property in Japan, and two, the business environment is fully documented, legal recourse entrenched, and those remain some of the most attractive features of the market.
0: Yeah, and also that's what we're here for. I mean cultural gap um, language gap is definitely a thing, but that's that's what we exist for to be that single point of contact or um the bridge if you will between. Japan, and the rest of the world, at least as far as real estate property is concerned. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Pretty. Absolute pleasure as always.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Seb.
0: And folks, we're going to link to Pretty's annual report in this episode's show notes as well. Of course, there's much, much more in there than we've covered here. So be sure to go have a read of that one. And do feel free to contact Pretty or myself with any questions you might have. We would love to get your comments or opinions as well, either directly via email or message or just in the comment section or wherever you might have found this podcast. We would love it if you could take a moment of your time and leave us a star rating, uh, even better, worded review on the iTunes store if that's where you're tuning in from. And we hope to have you with us next time. And until then, from Pretty in Canada and myself here in Japan, we wish you a profitable and prosperous year of investment, if that's your thing or a year of finding the perfect holiday home, or even a place to live. Hope to have you with us again next time, or as we say in Japanese, Yoroshiku!